On this week's Power Progress podcast, I have an amazing guest speaker, James Alexander Ellis, and he's got a number of titles, so I'm going to get through these ones because they're all important. He's a competition prep coach. He's a fitness show presenter, which is where we connected recently, WBFF Pro, and also he helps busy men get lean, healthy, and strong. How are you doing, James? You good, mate? Hey, thanks very much for having me, and thanks for the um, slightly long introduction, but um, yeah, I guess uh, I've d- done lots of different things, so i um, like to take my credit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I remember when we first met, which is when you was actually prepping someone backstage, and we've spoken a few times. So I think a really good place to start, because I saw a post recently about you being a DJ. So yeah, a good place to start. Thank you. Yeah, no, I um, basically I was um, from about age 17 onwards. I've always been like um, addicted to like dance music and hard dance music. So I've always been into house and trance and hard house. Um, so obviously when I was like 17, 18, like most lads, I started going out clubbing. I started going to more like kind of specialist dance clubs rather than like kind of meat market clubs. I was going out to like house clubs and trance clubs all around the country. So me and all my mates would go out to all these clubs and we'd dance till like four in the morning. And I was always watching the DJ and always thinking like, I want to be up there on the, in the DJ booth doing yeah. the, um, being in charge of the show. So um, I got very lucky and I got like local gigs like at my, uh, in my own hometown of Cheltenham. And um, I was giving out demo CDs all the time and going to gigs and meeting promoters and promoting myself and had my own DJ website and all this kind of thing. So yeah, I spent, uh, in the end, I spent 10 years DJing part-time. I was actually, I was earning quite good money from it. I was getting paid kind of like cash in hand for all these little gigs. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them were basically not very well paid. It's just like a fistful of, uh, fistful of tenors. And then um, I had a couple of regular gigs, which I would do um, almost weekly in Birmingham, um, which were um, quite well paying. So it was basically like a part-time job. Yeah, yeah. That was obviously, it went on for 10 years. How did you find that affected your health and well-being? Did you really feel a difference over that 10 years? Yeah, good question. Well, that whole time I was working as an architect um, in, uh, for a house builder in, the, in England, in, um, in, in Cheltenham, which was my kind of hometown for many years. Obviously, I live in London now, but I lived in, in Gloucestershire. And what I was doing was trying to find the balance where I was able to be at these gigs on Friday night or Saturday night. It, usually Saturday night was the, the big night. And if I was DJing till like, say, four in the morning, I'd get home at six in the morning and I'd have to go to bed and wake up on like Sunday afternoon. But I'd have to go to bed at like normal time. So the whole sleep pattern thing was a bit out of whack. And that was probably the thing that was just a slight effect on my health was was the fact I was I was I guess I was getting up at seven on a Monday, but I was going to bed at seven on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, and my boss used to say to me, oh, how do you do it? Like, you know, because I would sit there at my desk, like looking pretty bright eyed and bushy tailed. And my boss would say, I don't know how you do it because, you know, you've been your sleep pattern's been screwed. Um, but I guess I just got used to it after a while. And mostly my gigs, I was always driving to my gigs. So I usually wasn't drinking or, or doing anything like that. So it was, it was fairly easy to keep that bit under control. Yeah, that was, that, I mean, that took some discipline alone because I'm sure it could have been very tempting to go down the other route like most would with know drinking a lot and oh yeah i mean you know djs are known for like drinking and doing cocaine most of the evening that's just like part of the scene (laughs) but um i guess i i I usually had friends with me that would come in my car and we'd usually go to the gig together and i'd go in with my little entourage so i didn't i never really wanted to put them at risk so i'd probably have like a pint with my uh with my set 
and I'd drink that slowly over the course of like an hour or two and then you know we'd hang around for a little bit then we'd drive back at like five in the morning so oh, I was just nice. always conscious to um try and be law-abiding mm, yeah so in a way your little anchor to stop you doing it was you as the driver yeah I always felt responsibility when I had people in my car that it was down to me to be more careful like if I was driving by myself I didn't it, I, it does sounds a bit weird but if I was driving on my own I didn't feel as much um sense of responsibility but yeah. with that, my friends in my car, I just thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And obviously over that 10 years, did would you into fitness at all over them 10 years? Yeah, well, I was like, um, if you, I don't know, I have to look back to like an old Facebook page, but the shots of me DJing were usually me DJing with my shirt off or wearing like a, like a little vest um, on the decks. And I was kind of, my identity as a DJ was like the DJ that was in shape. Yeah. Um, but bearing in mind around, I don't know, like 15 years ago now, um, it's very common now for like most guys to be in shape and most guys are going to go into the gym and we've all got Instagram. So therefore when you go to a nightclub, most of the guys on the dance floor have got like tight t-shirt and the DJs are in good shape. But back then it was much less common to be in good shape. It sounds a bit weird, but it, it was. So I got a lot of eyeballs and a lot of attention just for having a six pack and some pecs. And when I was on the decks so of kind of like showing that off, that's part of my identity and part of my performance. Mm. it's amazing how societies move so quickly with the likes of social media isn't it really yeah it's, it's amazing like i said you know like back then you probably wouldn't have looked twice at my body back then um but but at the time it was um it was it was it was like you know like i said i was like the dj that looked like a bodybuilder mm. so would that would you have been around about 27 when you got kind of into personal training sort of yeah. like being the architect and dj yeah, so I had a couple of really awesome personal trainers at my gym in Cheltenham. When I was 26, I think I got my first PT and my shape changed quite nicely and started taking it more seriously. And then I think I had a different trainer when I was 28. And then by the time I was 30, I, I changed changed my whole career to being a PT. Mm. And how did you find that doing personal training? Was it something that you really cherished from doing that to that? Oh, massively. I mean, um, the last half of my architect's career, um, the last five years, I spent, you know, just thinking about going out training all the time. Although I was DJing, that, that was a separate thing. During the day, I was usually look, staring out the window, like dreaming about nutrition and working out. And I was just obsessed about my own physique. But also, you know what it's like, you have friends that start asking you about training and you end up kind of like giving your friends tips and advice. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, this is something I need to do as a job and a career. And I asked my own PT, a guy called Ben Carpenter, who was an amazing trainer, who I actually still follow on Instagram. We're still in touch with each other. If you guys uh, could check him out, I think it's at BD Carpenter. Yeah. Um, he's an absolute wealth of information. And he said to me at the time, he said, look, he goes, if you want to be a personal trainer, you could do it so easily. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, look, trust me. He goes, he said to me, I was his client and said, you know more than most of the PTs already do at this gym. Because I know from working with you that you're more knowledgeable than most of these trainers. Because I've been bodybuilding for like 10 years by that point. Yeah. You kind of already had the experience, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Uh, he said, it's just a formality. You need to get the certification and then get yourself into gym and you'll get a job as a PT. Yeah. And the reason why I asked about whether you sort of cherish being a PT, because I went from doing jobs what I weren't naturally sort of like passionate about, if you like, mm -hmm. I just linked it with sales or whatever it was mm. and when I learned the trade whatever I was doing I kind of got a little bit fed up and yeah, I remember yeah. I was working in the call center selling electrics yeah, yeah and when I got into fitness and I started doing it for a living I was like I can't believe I'm doing this and actually mm. I made this a living you know I was, I was just so overwhelmed at the beginning of it 
Yeah, I remember walking around my gym, like my first few weeks of being a PT, and it was like, it didn't seem like work because I was just like walking around, talking to people, obviously getting new clients, but just chatting to people, having consultations with them. And it did, it just seemed like a dream. And sometimes it still does. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is, like you said, it was fresh that you had that background of being an architect and also being a DJ. So I guess you sort of brought some of the principles of how you managed yourself when you started personal training which is what we're going to kind of talk about today isn't it really yeah there's definitely some similarities between my mindset and how how i've approached things even from like 10 years ago to how how i do it now yeah yeah what we discussed before we went live it was saying about how to get someone's mindset changed from someone who's just working in office and don't do that much Mm. to then transitioning into having a mindset of say someone who does sports or does mm. fitness or just stay active aren't we that's i think that's the that's the type of what we're kind of going towards isn't it with this one yes definitely yeah and it's 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 i guess it's thinking about um there's just a lot of bs in the industry and there's a lot of um we we, we just naturally become sedentary and we naturally become the kind of people that look for like quick fix solutions yeah. and yeah. i think that um it's important that just to teach people that, um, the kind of basic science behind how the body works. And I actually realized that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a very long workout. It doesn't have to be a complicated workout. And the nutrition doesn't have to be complicated. We just get sold the fact that nutrition should be complicated because of supplement mm-hmm. companies and because of the media. Because it's easy. Humans are very easy to like pull the wool over their eyes and make money out of them. But I guess as a, as, a, as a coach, it's your job to um, to be honest with people. And actually, you can get people results faster by being more honest with them because then yeah. you give them a more simple solution. Yeah, and I guess the thing what you've got to have to do, us as coaches, is we look at someone's lifestyle and we see, A, what they're willing to do, I guess, and B, what can they actually do with their lifestyle, what they're going to be able to keep long-term, isn't it, really? Def- definitely like the most important the important thing about anyone's fitness um journey is their adherence that's the single thing that screws people up when they can't do it because most people that you would speak to most people listening to this right now will have started some kind of diet or training plan and then for some reason they will have stopped it and the reason they didn't achieve their goals or they may still be trying to achieve their goals is because they weren't consistent they couldn't adhere to their plan and the fact that if they just started uh, at point A and gone all the way to point B, they probably would have achieved their goal and lost their weight. But there's a reason why people aren't adherent. And there's lots of complicated factors, but one of them will be because um, what they've tried to bite off more than they could chew on day one. So therefore, they couldn't adhere to it. Yeah, in some cases, they've almost set what they want is not, not in sync with what they're willing to do in some ways. They went almost too far forward, haven't they, with their yeah. goal? Exactly. And it's very, it can be really tricky to set people's expectations. So uh, the most common thing is one of my corporate clients will say to me um, when I first speak to them, oh, so I want to lose about 12 kilos. I'll say, okay, that's fine. You know, and, and, and you know, how, how have you put that weight on? How long has it taken? And they'll say, well, you know, I got married six years ago and, and I got, I had kids two years in. So I guess from about six years ago, I, I've put on about 12 kilos, which isn't that much over six years but they want to lose it in 12 weeks. Mm, yeah. And that and it sounds like a joke, but that is generally people's mindset is they want to lose it or maybe 16 weeks or 20 weeks. And that's yeah. the expectation. And, and it's not because the client has, has developed that. It's because they've seen things online. They've seen posts and they've seen discussions about these rapid transformations, which is you and I know, because we know better 
Mm. Um, you know, one in 10 transformations might work and be that rapid. And that's the one that people use as their before and after photo. Yeah. Um, but um, it's very rare that anyone keeps the weight off when they drop it that fast. Um, yeah, definitely. But, definitely. but the client doesn't want to hear that. They just want the result. And if I say, well, you probably want to keep the weight off, they don't hear that bit. They're like, I don't care. I just want the result. Yeah. There's two little key quotes I normally say. If you get there fast, it won't last. Mm. And if you get there steadily, but you'll get there definitely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, it's true. If you get there fast, it won't last. And there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of them are kind of, some of them are complicated sort of physiological ones, but um, you know, I think, I think a tra a trainee just needs to trust that that is the case. And mm. with that reality in mind, when you're approaching your goals, um, you can just, you change the timeframes, reset your expectations. You know, you, you talk to your trainer and your trainer will say, oh, let's work on like a kilo a week for the first two weeks. This is something I might say to one of my clients who's got 10 kilos to lose. Let's, let's aim for a kilo a week for mm. two weeks and then half a kilo a week for the weeks after that. Um, and then that's much more realistic. But also, yeah, tra training might lose two kilos in the first week and they're, then they're over the moon then. Um, so, yeah, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, which goes on to next thing, what we discussed. And I think it's really important, this, and it's that focus on energy balance. Mm. That's huge, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, the, it's what I call the master controller of your physique transformation is, 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 is how the trainee controls their energy balance. So basically what that means is, um, and a lot of people listen to this right now, this would be very basic information that they will think, yeah, I know all about calorie balance. Next, let's move on to the juicy stuff. But actually most people don't fully understand why it's so important and why all the other peripheral stuff becomes irrelevant when you haven't got it right. And that's also because the basics of, of human metabolism and then also what we might call thermodynamics, which is like a physics concept of physics, is, is that, um, you know, with, the, with, the, with an excess of energy, um, the excess energy will always be stored. So if you eat more calories than you burn, those extra calories just don't disappear. Though they have to either be burnt or they change their state. So if they're getting burnt, that's great. Then you'll, you know, there'll be no gain in weight. If they change their state, they're going to change into either potentially muscle or fat. In most cases, it's fat. But uh, the, the key thing is that these calories don't just disappear. They can't disappear because that's just not how energy balance works. Yeah. And obviously, if it's the other way around, um, then, um, you know, you, you can lose weight. But if you are consistently controlling a calorie deficit, and this is for the majority of people, most people that listen to this might be looking to, to achieve weight loss or sustain weight loss or achieve fat loss more specifically, if we use a more accurate term. So by ensuring that you're in um, a moderate and sustainable calorie deficit, um, that's the thing that will do most of the heavy lifting when it comes to your weight loss. And in my experience, the more weight you've got to lose, you know, if you're 30 kilos overweight, which is about is that like four stone or something, mm. then you would um, you can get by and you can achieve weight loss just by being in a calorie deficit. So that means if you really wanted to, you wouldn't have to change any of your food types and you could potentially just ensure you're eating less over time. Yeah. You know, if you're eating four uh, crap meals a day, you could just cut that to three crap meals a day and you'd probably lose weight. Yeah. And okay, again, when, when we talk about the mindset as well with, with that focus on energy balance, if you went too much into that calorie deficit for too long, mm. that's obviously going to break you as well because how much willpower is that going to take and how much energy you're going to have to give, you mm. know? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you mentioned willpower, and it's, it's uh, one of the deciding factors. So if, if we if we assume that this um, energy balance concept, or in, in this example, being in an energy deficit day in, day out for weeks and weeks and weeks, if that's the most important concept, sort of scientifically speaking, probably the most important concept when it comes to us being human beings is our willpower, really. Because what happens, as you know, is as soon as you start dieting, at some point you'll get hungry. And hunger will just absolutely smash your goals to pieces yeah. because human beings aren't good at being hungry. We're not used to being hungry as a, as, a, as a society of Westerners that have always got everything we want at our fingertips. And that means um, it doesn't really matter what your class is or how much money you've got. Most days, if you live in a Western country, you have enough money to have whatever food you want, whenever you want. And that's that's life. There's food everywhere. All the shops are full of snacks. And we can order it on Deliveroo. Yeah. So because we're so used to having all the food we want around us all the time, we're used to eating and snacking all the time. We're not used to being hungry. And unfortunately, when you start dieting, you have to get fairly familiar with hunger. And like you just said, if your calorie deficit is too big and you go in too hard because you've heard, oh, I just heard that I need to be in a calorie deficit. I'm just going to cut everything in half the next few weeks. You probably won't get last more than a few days before you crash. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and that I, I mean, I, I remember uh, even for myself who competed um, because I had that goal and I had enough sort of in my brain to make it so strong that I wanted mm. to be my best. Mm. Then moments when I really could have just given up and just went right. I'm going to go for that. Yeah, that thing in my brain just went no, keep going. But there was days where actually I felt quite emotional, mm. and I, that's when I realised how much. The brain is so synced to emotional needs with food. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is amazing. And, and it's interesting you, you picked up the, 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 the difference between someone that's doing a competition prep. Um, so obviously something that I, I used to be very focused on, the difference between um, a, a normal person, quote unquote, that isn't doing competition prep. There's, there's so many different things going on. First of all, is, is like you said, it's the fact that you've got this laser focus on a goal and you have to go and stand on stage in front of photographers and judges and other competitors. So that's one thing that will keep you um, adherent is you've got that thing like dangling in the distance, that date. You know, but for someone that doesn't have that, um, that laser focus to goal, um, you know, they are going to probably more likely going to cave into little things like hunger pangs and wanting to get up and have a snack late at night and, you know, overeat at breakfast and all this kind of thing. And obviously, as you, as you know, um, a fitness competitor is probably more likely to be tracking their calories and tracking their macros using an app. And therefore, we've got a little bit more kind of control visually over what we're eating. Um, whereas sort of general population or one, one of my corporate clients, they might not all be tracking their food deliberately because that yeah. doesn't suit some people's lifestyle. And therefore, um, you know, it's just easy to get things wrong when you aren't tracking. Mm, definitely and that's why i do like that whole steady approach for someone who just wants to be healthy and fit because what i like to use is the push pull effect so the reason why some people start is because at the point of pain where they know they need to change mm. and let's just say they've got a goal of freestone in this case then they can use pain to drive them into the mm. gift about halfway but now they're starting to feel comfortable and when they feel comfortable that's when they're going oh well i'm doing good so maybe i can ease off a little bit the trouble is, if you haven't got that something to pull you a little bit more, yeah. maybe it's that victory at the end of some sort. In my case, you know, when it comes to fitness shows, it's getting on stage in my underpants. Well, I'm going to be amongst others. So you want to be in good nick. So all these things keep me pulling towards that. Yep. Some people, they haven't got enough pull as a, 
a reward at the end, and that's how sometimes it can fall back. So yeah. I think when you've got more of a steady approach, you've got less chance of you may slip up, but not that much where you can keep striving forward. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's, a, it's a good point, this kind of thing about pain. So, you know, human beings are always driven to make changes, usually out of pain. Um, yeah. And it's avoiding some kind of pain. So in most cases, if I talk to a client, uh, it's the pain of knowing that they had a health problem. That's quite an extreme one. Yeah. You know, I've been to my doctor and he said, I'm, I've got problems with my cholesterol and that um, I'm worried about, you know, being there for my kids in 10 years. Um, or, you know, I've, I hate the way I look. You know, I look in the mirror and my, my wife tells me that she's, she's finding me less and less attractive over the years. Those are very painful scenarios. So that they said, that drives us to make initial changes. Um, but then, like I said, unless you've got something which is, um, you know, keeping you driven all the way through, that pain will start to slip away very quickly. And this yeah. is a very typical thing. If I had a, a corporate client on like a six month um, training package, by the time they get to month two or three and they've lost um, six, eight, 10 kilos, suddenly that pain becomes less because they might have solved their health issue very quickly. As you know, you, you can get back to health very quickly. Um, you know, the wife's given them a lot of compliments, the clothes are fitting better, and now suddenly they aren't as motivated. Mm. And then, and then, like you said, you need something then at the other end to, to pull yeah. people along for the Lots, next few That months. extra bit more gain, they're going to gain more now. They come away yeah. from the pain, let's get yeah. more gain. And that's the, that's, the, that's the art of it, isn't it? How much do they want it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why having a coach comes in handy because for a lot of people, they will make this kind of short-term change where they, you know, like I said, they, they become a bit more comfortable. Um, and then it's just very easy. I think the assumption is most clients think that they can maintain themselves. So they've dropped 10 kilos, they got down to 80 kilos and they think they can maintain that for the rest of their life. But what happens is the reason they shot up to 90 kilos in the first place, all these lifestyle factors um, they're still present. So then most people just put all their weight back on. I think that's why finding a coach is very useful because they just keep you accountable the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great. I think, like I said, I think if we just recap what we discussed today, it's like number one, setting that realistic goal where you want to get to. I think number two is understanding that focus on energy balance, getting that right, that if you're doing more of a steady approach, you're going to get that a bit more on point where you're not going to sort of have them weekdays. And then ultimately, at the end, making sure you've got enough gain to keep you going, keep you striving forward. And that's where getting some sort of coach gives you that accountability and it, gives, it just gives you that clarity for someone, doesn't it? Yeah, I think when you get sort of like halfway through the transformation, you start to get a bit more comfortable and you see most of the weight come off. The most important thing at that point is to sit down with yourself and rewrite down your goals. And you might actually say, look, all my goal is to do now is just to maintain what I've got. That might be, you know, that's actually quite a romantic goal for most people. Most people would love to be able to hold where they are for the rest of their lives. Um but, you know, you discuss that with your coach and make sure your coach knows that that is your goal. And you might be able to back off a little bit. And if you've been doing six workouts a week and you've been eating 2000 calories a day, it's been hard work to maintain. You might need, you could drop it down to five workouts a week and you might be able to bring your calories up to 2300 and that will work. But what you can't do is if you try and go on your own, you're liable to eventually just stop working out and start eating crap all day. And that's all. That's when you see the weight come back on. So I think this 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 middle ground of maintenance is actually a lot harder yeah. than most people think. Yeah. And I think that's where it's important to have people around you that can keep you on track. Having that adaptability, isn't it? Keep adapting on the way as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's been great to have you today. Is there anything more you'd like to add for someone who's listening today? 
Um, I guess it's, 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 it's understanding as a trainee, and this is for, for, um, this is for you know, the kind of general population client that has like a job and a family and, and has commitments and, and can't just spend all day in the gym, it is understanding that um, the basics for most people are all the same. And it's that um, you know, the answer isn't found in supplements. It's never found in crash dieting. It's never really even found in a particular type of diet. Mm. People get very, very hung up on a type of diet, a type of food, a type of supplement, or even a, a piece of equipment at the gym. It's important to see all these little things as very meaningless details around the outside. Yeah. And the central concepts are the same for everyone, which is adhering to a plan, you know, keeping it keeping it sensible and sustainable in the food and, and, and setting sensible and sustainable goals and all this stuff are on the periphery never really helps anyone. It might look attractive to the to the consumer because yeah. it's it might be like a shiny book or it might be a, a special supplement on a shelf. But I've seen so many people waste their time on this and I used to do it myself. And it's when you start really understanding the basics and it always comes back to your activity levels and your food intake. That's the stuff that matters whether you're at point A or point B. Great way to finish, James. I really appreciate you being on. I'd love to have you back in the future. Yeah. Yeah, we'll catch up soon, mate. Thanks for your time, Nathan. Cheers, guys. See ya.